welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We are dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. If you're new to the Coach's Edge, we want to welcome you as well. We hope that you find this episode beneficial as we get into a couple quick tips uh, in season for your players and for your team. Before we get into that, this podcast is brought to you by the website coachesedge.coach, helping coaches across the country improve their teams and their program. If you have questions about our brand new website, please let me know. Hit me up, contact at kramerbasketball.com at coachesedge1 on Twitter. If you find this episode beneficial, be sure to share it out. Obviously, subscribing, rating, review goes a really long way. Here's what we're getting into. Five key stats that you can track with your team during the season. We break it down into eight periods. I'll share with you the five things that I find beneficial uh, when coaching a team that we're trying to get and also limit the opponent from. Great way for tracking our in-game success. And then second part, putting my player hat on and I'm gonna share with you the three things that I did that really helped me as an athlete with my routine pre-practice and pre-game. I think they can really help you and your players as well. Let's get to the show, but before that, a quick word. Coach, part one of what we are tracking in game. I have an Excel doc. I'm going to walk you through it right here. Again, if you want a copy of this, easy. Just send me an email, contact at currentbasketball.com. I'll send it over. You can use what I have or you can make some tweaks. Um, I got this when I was coaching in Perrysburg. We had something very similar, five areas. Um, and as an assistant coach, one of my responsibilities during the game was to mark down the statistics for ourselves and our opponent in these statistical areas just to give us an idea of how the game was going. As you know, the game's going fast. There's a, a lot going on. And so going back and being able to look at these statistics at the end of quarters, halftime, at the end of game, and also be able to build a file, you know, once you're 10 plus games into the season and see if there's any consistencies where uh, certain times in the game where you're struggling or succeeding. And then we can try to learn from those as well. So with this Excel doc, on the, the left side of it, we are tracking our team's statistics in these five areas, and then below it, the opponent's statistics in these five specific areas, and it's broken down in eights. So every four minutes or every half quarter would be a period. So we have eight periods, and what we're tracking, um, I'm going to walk through right here. On top of that, we're always tallying the score at the end of each period, eight periods. So the overall goal, um, for, for me at least, coaching a team would be that we want to always score seven points or more every four minutes. And we want to hold the defense to six points or less every four minutes. And the, the bigger goal behind that is the first team in high school basketball to 50 usually wins. Now, again, I'm talking um, in, in my experience, I live in South Carolina, I've coached in Ohio, I've coached in Michigan. None of those states currently have a shot clock. So knowing that there's no shot clock in any of those states that I've been in, that's a general 
um, measuring stick of who's going to win a game, it's usually the first team to 50. So um, if you go six points or less times eight, that's 48 points, seven points times eight, that's 56 points. Uh, so we want to try to get to seven every uh, four minutes. We want to hold the defense to six or less. So the five statistics that we're tracking uh, throughout the course of the game are these. And again, use them if you like. If you don't like them, that's fine. If you'd have something very similar, I would love to know what you're, what you're doing. I can be convinced. <laughs> so the first one that we're tracking is fast break points. We, we want to make sure at the very least that our opponent isn't getting fast break points, easy points out in transition. Maybe your team isn't a fast break style team. Regardless, we don't want the opponent to be scoring easy buckets on the break. So we're tracking how many points every each period that the opponent's scoring in fast breaks. Number two, free throws. We want to make sure that we're winning the free throw line game. So we're tracking how many points are scored at the free throw line. The next thing that we're tracking is offensive rebounds. I think this one's really, really important. Um, there's different coaches that have philosophies of we're not, we're going to make sure we get back in transition to take away the fast break. That also can mean we're not going to be a great offensive rebounding team. I understand it. And depending on the team, that I would be coaching, that could definitely be a part of our team philosophy. But regardless, you want to make sure the opponent's not getting offensive rebounds on you. So we're tracking the quantity of offensive rebounds, not the amount of points scored off of offensive rebounds, because that could be a little tricky, right? Um, I want to make sure that we're not giving up offensive rebounds. So we're tracking the number of offensive rebounds there. We're also tracking the number of turnovers. The basketball is precious. We want to limit teams to one shot, hence the offensive rebound tracking. And we want to make sure that we value the basketball. We're not coughing it up. And we want to create more turnovers than we give. And if I were to uh, be even more specific in the turnover category, I would track live ball and dead ball turnovers in the turnover column. So if you were making tally marks and just a basic tally would be a dead ball turnover, meaning you threw it or dribbled it out of bounds. I might make a tally mark, but put a circle around it if it was a live ball turnover. And we really wanna make sure we're not giving up live ball turnovers because then that can lead to those easy fast break and transition points. And then the fifth one that I want to track is maybe not as unique um, as you might think, but I think it's just a big one. Contested mid-range shots. I want to see how many contested mid-range shots that the opponent is taking compared to us. If they're taking contested mid-range shots every period, I think we got a really good thing going on. Um, obviously, you guys know analytics. You want free throws. We want layups. We want open three-point shots, catch and shoot threes. If we can force our players down into the mid-range area, get good contests up 
on those players. I really like our chances defensively to hold them to six points or less throughout those eight periods. They're going to happen every eight period. No, but that's the, that's the goal. Um, so what I would do is we track period one, two, three, four, that would lead us to halftime. At halftime, I would total all of those numbers up and then start again, period five, six, seven, eight, and tally all of the periods up for the end of game. And an interesting story to go along with this was when I was coaching in Perrysburg, we noticed that the first period and the fifth period, so that would be the first four minutes of the first quarter and the third quarter of each game, we struggled a little bit. We just had a, a slower time getting out of the gate. But period two and period six, we would almost always make that up. So it was always, you know, one, two tied game um, in the first quarter, play even in the third quarter. And then the third and fourth period was usually where we'd separate ourselves from the other teams. We had a pretty good team. We won the league title my second year there. But it was also something that we could look back on after we'd done this consistently for a few games as a coaching staff and say, what can we do better with our guys to make sure we get a little quicker start in the first and the third quarter, that first four minute period of each, because that's where we had our lowest point. We were getting outscored the most compared to any of those other eight periods of the game. Again, you're not going to know it unless you track it. At the same time, we need to be careful that we're not overanalyzing you know, paralysis by analysis, as you know. So we need to be specific. If you're a coach, you have an assistant coach, have them sit down and say, hey, what are the things that we value we really want to get and we really want to limit the opponent for? Okay, this season, let's track them and see how we do. And the unique thing is you might see that there's certain periods of the game where you do really well in this category and certain periods of the game where you struggle a little bit and then you can address those specific periods of the game based on that. So that's a little rundown. If you want the the printout, the doc, I will gladly send it to you, send it to you. This is uh, one of our Coach's Edge docs. They get access to, you know, hundreds of videos, PDFs, handouts, drills. This is something that they get access to, but I'm happy to share this one out with any coach uh, that is listening. Just send me an email and let me know. And for part two of this quick tip episode, we're going to get into putting the player hat on a little bit. And I'm going to share with you the three things that I developed a routine to do uh, from an individual player development standpoint before each game. Um, I think you might have some players that could really adopt this and uh, help them with their game. Coach, before we get back to the episode, I want to thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge. If there is any topics that you would like to hear us discuss, please let me know. We have some great interviews coming up uh, and I'll continue to do these quick hitter episodes as well. Um, and again, your support is a big reason why we can have this podcast. So simply subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing it out goes a really long way with the growth of the Coach's Edge podcast and obviously the Coach's Edge website. So if you get a chance, go to coachesedge.coach 
look at our brand new website as we are serving coaches around the country, improve their game. And we'd love to tell you a little bit more about what the Coach's Edge website is all about. Thanks again. Let's get back to the show. Coach, welcome back to part two of this episode. As I said for part one, the five stats to track as a team during uh, the season. If you want one of those, just send send me an email, contact at currentbasketball.com, and I will send it over to you. Three things that I would do from a player development standpoint. These are things that I developed over my playing career. I had a handful of routines that I would always tweak throughout my playing career from junior high, high school, college, and then pro. And by my last year of playing basketball overseas, I had developed a really specific routine that helped me quite a bit. My last year playing in Europe was the best pro season that I ever had. And uh, for, for family reasons, wanting to start a family, get back to the States, that's, that's why I essentially retired. But it was the best season I'd ever had playing. And I think a big part of that was I'd finally, you know, at that point I was 26 years old, but at that point I had really got into a deeper understanding of what my game was and what I needed to do to be successful from, you know, my own side of my strengths and my weaknesses. And so the three things that I would do that took 15 minutes or less before every practice and every game were this. And if you've been a part of our Kramer basketball program for any period of time, you're familiar with these. But it was five minutes of jump rope, five minutes of stationary ball handling. It doesn't mean my feet are stuck in the floor, but five minutes of stationary ball handling, and then 50 form shooting makes. And going back to the jump rope, most people don't like jumping rope. I certainly do not like jumping rope. But what I found over my playing career was I was a pretty light guy and conditioning was never really uh, a difficult thing for me. It was easy for me to get in game shape from playing the game. But what I was lacking was some of that pop, pop, that quick, that change of direction, that being able to um, use different types of footwork and being able to have more of this quick feet explosiveness. And I know when we, we say jump rope, we don't necessarily think of explosiveness, but think of an endurance runner, right? It's just, they're just gonna keep going, keep running, never getting tired, but none of those steps are just pop explosive. And that's kind of how I was. And I was known as a, as a player who was just smooth, right? Everything was, was fluid. It kind of looked good, but none of it was pop ex explosive. And the older I got, the better that I became at that pop. But it was something that for me, the, the endurance, the, the technique, the fluidity of the game, that was something that almost came naturally to me but working on being explosive was something that I really had to, to train. And so working with the jump rope allowed me to work on quick P 
pieces of footwork. And if you've seen some of my jump rope videos, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't jumping rope slowly for five minutes. It was jumping rope for 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds max, and working on different variations of footwork that I might use in a game. It was just going really, really fast as I could for 10 or 15 seconds and then catching my breath, working on changing direction with the jump rope. The jump rope is great for rhythm. It's great for timing. It's great for balance. It's, uh, yes, it can help conditioning if you do it for a long period of time. I wasn't using the jump rope for conditioning, right? But I wanted that footwork, that balance, the timing, the rhythm of the game, because that's what basketball is. Basketball is all about timing, rhythm, balance, uh, and then adding the footwork component to it really, really helped me as a, as a player. And so if you were doing five minutes with, with a rope, I would generally start with maybe a 30 second slow set with two feet, 30 second rest, 30 seconds again, alternating my feet, 30 seconds rest. Okay, now I've, I've got some basic jumps in. Now I have three minutes left and now I'm gonna go shorter amount of time but I'm really gonna work on explosively jumping. So I might go for um, 15 seconds, but they're gonna be double jumps. I might go for 15 seconds, but they're gonna be split stance jumps, side to side jumps, front and back jumps. There's a ton of different variations that, that we could use. Um, work on cross step jumps where my feet are coming across my body and then back, because that's a common movement within the game of basketball. So again, it goes by pretty quick and the five minutes isn't five minutes of actual jumping rope. That's the rest time included. After I did that, five minutes handling the basketball, being a point guard and a shooting guard, I had to have the ball on a string. And so working with, you know, I would do one ball, I would do two ball, but I really, it was about getting comfortable with the basketball in my hands, really working on my stance, activating my, my legs, my glutes, my quads, getting down in a low wide base, high repetitions from pound dribbles, crossover dribbles, between leg dribbles, in and out dribbles, behind the back dribbles and V dribbles. And then from there getting into, you know, some combination moves, adding some, some footwork, some sidesteps, some, some lunges while I'm dribbling the basketball to activate my feet once again. After I've done that for five minutes, now my, my upper back, my shoulders, my arms, they're a, little bit, they're a little bit tired. And so in order to loosen them up, that's why I would do my form shooting last. Um, I didn't wanna go form shooting and then say jump rope last because that, there's a lot of tightness built up in my upper body flexing while you're jumping the ropes if you're going hard. Um, so the form shooting allowed me to get my makes in and also loosen up my upper body while I was preparing for the game. So I would go 50 form shooting makes, five, six, seven feet from the basket. I've tweaked this as I've become a coach and gotten into player development where we've moved our form shooting back uh, a little bit more, um, but it was all about making 50 shots close to the basket, concentrating on my stance, my follow through and the motion of the body and the basketball coming up and then after I've done that, then I would back it up and get into my game shots, 
um, you know, you've heard it, game spots, game shots, game speed. Then I would get into taking those shots as I would prepare for both practice and a game. And that's one thing that I did want to mention was this is something that I did pre-practice and pre-game, both. You know, and if as a, you know, pro player, you can get to the gym and there's not really anybody using it. So it's easy to get those repetitions in. But I would bet that the majority of players, you can get in the hall and do your ball handling. You can get in the locker room if you have a high ceiling and do the jump rope. And are you going to have the time pregame to get those 50 makes in? Well, maybe this 15-minute routine is something that you do all the way before the the JV basketball game if you're a varsity player. Who knows? Um, But again, I wanted to share it with you because it helped me tremendously as a player. It helped get me into a rhythm and a comfort zone heading into each game. Uh, And like I said, that was the best season that I ever had. Um, Regarding the form shooting, there are things that I've tweaked and changed to improve. Um, as I've gotten older and coached more athletes, learned from other coaches, I still recommend the 50 form shooting makes now, but now I break it down into four different phases. So we go what I essentially call 10 makes on phase one follow through. We go 10 makes phase two ball motion shots, low to high. We go 15 makes body motion shots. Now we're incorporating the legs and the lower body. We're also moving back a little farther. And then we're going 15 makes of game speed shots, working from, you know, that phase one being around seven feet away from the basket. And by the time we get to phase uh, four, we're right inside the free throw line. So we've made 50 shots. We've handled the basketball for up to five minutes. We've jumped rope for up to five minutes. We're good and warmed up. And now we're ready to jump into more game specifics as we prepare for practice in a game, or you can time it and just jump right into the team warm up, depending on how much time that you have uh, as, a, as a player. So I hope you guys uh, benefited from this two part quick tip episode um, on part one. Again, if you want the Excel doc, just let me know, send me an email, contact at kermerbasketball.com. Happy to send that over to you. Um, but again, I think if we can limit teams in, in the fast break, if we can limit their offensive rebounds, if we can limit their time at the free throw line, that's huge for us. And then the two things that we want them to do a lot would be shoot contested mid-range shots and turning the basketball over. And if we can win those five categories, that should give us a great chance to win the games that we play. All right, coaches, thank you for listening. If you have a moment, it would be really appreciated if you went and gave us a subscription, positive rating, and a review, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That's the big one where most people listen to their podcast. That would go a long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. Your support is appreciated. Thanks again, and have a great weekend.